Grace and peace, love and mercy from God our Father, through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. Amen. Text for our meditation this morning. The epistle reading that we heard just a moment ago, Galatians 3, 15 to 22, especially this verse. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, have you ever received an inheritance? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Somebody dies, you're named in the will, and all the details that ensue are now on you. You are sucked in to the process. Certainly you've seen it in movies or on TV, but it's a whole different kettle of fish when you personally are involved. Two times in my life, I have gotten the certified letter. Two times in my life, I've had to show up at the county courthouse. Two times in my life, have I witnessed how people act when they're about to, or think they are about to, receive an inheritance. The first was rather bizarre. A great uncle of mine had passed away. He died without a will. So they tracked down all of the direct descendants and asked us to show up for a meeting. We did. I didn't realize that when you die without a will, the state pretty much does everything for you. Not necessarily the way you want it done, but everything is done decently and in order. So, gathered in a room of family, mostly shirt-tail relatives, many of whom I'd never met before, as the judge explains how my great-uncle's estate is to be divided, people were not happy. People began yelling and shouting at each other. One person stood up. We thought she had a heart attack right there in front of us all. It isn't right. It isn't fair. I want my piece of the pie. I want. I want. My wife and I were entertained and somewhat sickened by all of it. When you don't have a will, and when people are fighting and fighting and fighting over stuff, pandemonium, chaos, everything that is bad about human nature rises to the top. It was a couple years later, I got another one of those certified letters. Another great uncle had passed away. So, go to the courthouse again. But this time, things were different. 
He had left a will. Everything, detail, was written down. They read all of these things. Nobody whined. Nobody complained. The will told everyone exactly what was to happen. This last will and testament. Now, I suppose somebody still could have gotten mad and taken it to court and tried to break the will. But that's almost an act of God for something like that to happen. No. You don't contest things that are written down and ratified. That's how Paul starts out in our text. You don't contest things that are written out like a last will and testament and ratified. Otherwise, there will be chaos and pandemonium and the worst elements of the human heart will come to the top. He wasn't talking about an inheritance of stuff. He was talking about eternal life. He was talking about the forgiveness of sins. He was talking about the chief article of the Christian faith. Justification by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. God set this down. A word of promise. A word ratified as he gave this word of promise to Abraham. That through his seed, through his offspring, Jesus, the Savior of the world, the entire world would be forgiven. But what happened? Well, sinners do what sinners do. They take the Word of God and pervert it. They use their reason and their logic or maybe even tradition to distort or to trump God's clear word. Salvation, forgiveness, heaven is a free gift. I don't have to do anything to earn it. I don't have to do anything to keep it. That doesn't make any sense. My, my reason can't figure that out. My emotions tell me I want to do something. I want to do something to make it more sure. And so, the history of the church has pretty much been a history of people letting their old Adam and their old Eve go wild Chaos and pandemonium, the worst elements of the human heart coming to the top. Why? Because we want to justify ourselves. We want to justify our own actions. We want to earn our salvation. Oh, we don't say it that way. We're not that crass. This isn't the Middle Ages, after all. We're much more subtle. 
we're much more crafty. We just give the impression that because of who we are or how we conduct ourselves, our super piety, our hard work, our generous donations, the list is endless. These gifts of God flowing from the cross and empty tomb soon take over. They soon take over our hearts and our minds to the point where Jesus and his life, his death, his resurrection is pushed off to the side. I don't need it. I've got myself. We appeal to the law, to the Ten Commandments, to show to God just how good we are. We appeal to the law, the Ten Commandments, to show just how worthy we are of God's attention. My friends, there's nothing new under the sun. In our text for today, the Apostle Paul is teaching us that the promise is the promise. God gave that promise to Abraham that through his seed, Jesus, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. God doesn't change his word. God doesn't change the rules in the middle of the game. We are saved by grace through faith. We sang that in the great hymn. We love to sing that hymn. We just don't want to let it get too close to our hearts and to our lives. My friends, how many times in our dealings with our kids, with our parents, with our spouse, with our fellow church members, with our neighbors, with ourselves, How many times don't we constantly come up with excuses for our bad behavior? How many times when we think back on our sin, don't we justify ourselves? Well, at least I'm not as bad as him or her. How many times don't we abuse the forgiveness of sins and the grace of God? God knows this. God knows us better than we know ourselves. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. My friends, rid yourself of this self-justification pattern. Live in the freedom that God has given you. And that freedom is the forgiveness of sins. It sounds crazy, but we, by and large, don't like the fact that we are free. 
We want a to-do list of how to live our lives. We want five steps, 10 steps, seven steps to whatever the current fad is so we can climb the ladder and hit the top rung. It comes natural to each and every one of us. But God's word, our source and norm for Christian teaching, God's word teaches that our good deeds, our good works, accomplish nothing in the sight of God. Nothing, contribute nothing to our salvation. Oh. Well, I hear that as good news, or at least my old Adam does. If my good works don't contribute anything to my salvation, then I don't have to do any, right? This is exactly the sin and the error that Paul is combating in our text. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. Certainly not. Certainly not. God wants us to do good. He wants us to be good people who do good works. Our good works do not make us good. Only the blood of Jesus makes us good. You have been declared good, righteous, forgiven in the waters of holy baptism. God has placed his word, his seal on you. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. You are a good tree because your sins are forgiven and your name is written in the book of life. And now, because you are good, because you are righteous in the eyes of God, you're free. You're free to do good. To do good works. My friends, when we are doing something good, who are we doing it for? We're certainly not doing it for God. God doesn't need our good works. All too often, we do good for ourselves. We do good because it makes us feel good. We do good because somehow we think other people or maybe even God himself will notice our good and give us extra credit. My friends, when we are doing good works to benefit ourselves, they're not a good work. Far too often, you do what you do to benefit you. And when that happens, 
to you or me. You have become your own God. My friends, today, the good news is you don't have to play this game. You don't have to climb the ladder. You don't have to impress God or your pastor or your spouse or your brother and sister in Christ. You are free. You are free indeed. If the Son sets you free, Jesus, you are free. Your sins have been paid for. You are truly free. You don't have to earn anything like the grace and favor and merit of God. It's yours, full and complete. And now, now in that freedom, we look at God's word and we say, what good is the law? I don't need it to benefit me. I don't need it to please God. I can in my freedom love and serve my neighbor. That's why we do good works. Because our neighbor needs them. Now I'm not talking specifically about the people who live in the house next door to you. Although that may be the case. Just who is my neighbor? Did you notice in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite, they were busy doing church stuff. They saw the man in the ditch. They were too busy taking care of themselves. They didn't even notice. They certainly couldn't stop. My friends, we've been set free to notice the needs of our neighbor. God's law, the Ten Commandments, teach us who our neighbor is and how we should act as a Christian toward them. Most of the time, our neighbor lives in the same house as we do. Our spouse, our kids, our parents. Who needs your help, your good works? Your neighbor. My friends, Today, God is giving us new eyes. New eyes to see the people around us. Today, God is giving us new eyes to take our focus and our vision off of ourselves. There is an epidemic of pride and hubris going on in our world. I want what I want and I want it now. Yeah. It's everywhere. My friends, today, hear the word of God. Hear it for yourself. Jesus, the seed of Abraham, has come into this world. Why? To ratify the word, the covenant that God gave. 
that God gave to covenant concerning us right here and right now. The seed of the woman born of Mary, born for us, born under the law to redeem us who are crushed and condemned by the law. Jesus has fulfilled the law perfectly for you. For all of the times you've sought to justify yourselves or use the law as a weapon or club, Jesus Christ has bled and died for you. Your sins are forgiven. How do you know? God guarantees it by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Jesus has ascended into heaven, but he hasn't abandoned us or left us. Wherever his word is proclaimed and his sacraments administered, there he is, loving us, caring us, forgiving us, giving us grace upon grace upon grace. Because we continue to sin. And sin much. And in our freedom, where we so often choose to do the wrong thing, Jesus gives us another testament, another covenant. This is my body, this is my blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness, life, and salvation for the weary sinner, you and me, to give us forgiveness and strength to get rid of the chaos and pandemonium when we try to justify ourselves. My friends, don't fight the will. Don't contest it. God knew what he was doing. It's for you and me and for the life of the world. By grace I'm saved. Grace free and boundless. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts, our minds, our good works. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.